You have to remember this. He's always in the overcoming. I preached this long before COVID-19. You learn the faithfulness and the kindness of the Lord when you overcome together with him. You know, when you gave your life to Jesus, he could have just whacked you and taken you right to heaven. But instead, he chose to leave us on earth to teach us the greatness and the kindness of his love in this epic love story of all time. This is the time that we get to shine bright and learn the greatness of who he is right now. And so I talked about riding out the storm, hearing God's voice, not being rebellious, not walking in disbelief, which hardens your heart, and then in turn keeps you from rest and the promise. An entire generation that complained over and over and over again would not enter into the promised land. Why? Because they doubted God. They complained over and over and over. They rebelled against him. And everybody heard his voice. And what I want you to know is God is speaking louder than he's ever spoken before. Mark my words. He's shouting from the heavens for you to hear his voice of how much he loves you. His people, the word of God, preachers are boldly declaring, hear the word of the Lord in this time. He loves you and he's coming after you and he wants your heart. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to know the greatness of who he is and now is the time. And so we understand that in the midst of the desert, God wanted to show them his love and would even test them. And in many ways, this is a test for all of us. Every storm is a test. Every hardship is a test to see whether you'll be faithful and walk in all his ways, Exodus 20, 20, or will you rebel and go back to your dysfunction and the sin and the porn and the drugs and the alcohol and all the things that numb you out and spin you out and check you out. All the things that keep you back from what God has for you, the doubt, the disbelief, the anger, the bitterness, the unforgiveness. Because even during this time, the enemy's gonna lie about the goodness of God. And it's the constant questions of, well, if God's so good, then why this? I've heard that my whole life. And the truth is God's always been good and his heart breaks and weeps too. But it's in the midst of heartache and brokenness and wars and destruction and even death that we find the greatness and the power of who God is. The most important thing is eternal life, not this life now. But he uses this life to prepare us He uses this life as a type and shadow to learn to worship and trust and rescue and save that which was lost and stolen from him all the way back to the garden. So this is your time. This is the time to get fired up. This is the time for you to believe like you've never believed before. Stop listening to the lies of the dysfunctional preachers of your past. Stop listening to the TV evangelists that were dysfunctional that you thought, if this is Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Whatever it is, I saw him too standing on the street corners at Grateful Dead concerts, flipping through the channel back in the day, seeing things like, man, is that, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with that. But I'm telling you, it's a new day. God's raising up a new army. It's a new people of lovesick warriors that are fired up and passionate to advance his agenda on the face of the earth. And trust me, his agenda is way better than yours and mine. His agenda is way better than what we even think it is. It's full of compassion, grace, mercy, kindness, love, joy, and even his wrath to drive back wickedness and injustice in the land. There's injustice everywhere around us. And you and I are the answers to the injustice in the land around us. Tag, you're it. Tag, I'm it.
We are the fruit of the land in a desolate place. God uses his people to bring life and transformation in a dark world around us. So this is your time. Woo! Yeah! This is your time to get fired up. This is your time to rise up. This is your time to stop doubting and disbelieving and wondering, oh God, I hope this doesn't get me and I hope I make it through and I hope I survive. That's fearful prayers. That's fearful thinking. That's not faith. And my attitude is no matter what comes my way, I'm trusting Jesus. My attitude is I'm covered in the blood because I've given my life to Jesus. My attitude is my eyes are on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And yes, I'm on a mission and I'm aggressive, but it's not with anger. It's with love and passion and a drive to rescue the hurting, the broken, the lost, the dying, and to see a church become everything it's supposed to become, to see a bride be prepared for her bridegroom. He's removing out spots and wrinkles and blemish. Why? So that we could be presented to him as a glorious church. Woo! Come on, I'm so fired up this morning. And so I talked about riding out the storm. How do you ride the storm out? You ride the storm out by not being rebellious, not falling into sin, not falling into disbelief, hearing God's voice and being obedient to what he says and then resting. It all comes back to peace and rest. Why do people spin out on drugs and alcohol? Because they don't have peace and rest in their heart. Their minds are racing all the time, anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, uh, nightmares, sleepless nights. And anybody that's living in that full time is gonna, the, their soul inside of them is gonna cry out for comfort. All of our souls, our mind, our will, and emotions are looking for pleasure, delight, and comfort. And that's why God, the first thing he created was a garden called pleasure and delight. Before he even made man, he made a garden of pleasure and delight. And then what did he do? He created man and put him in what he already created. And he said, take care, tend and keep and be a gardener. Protect what I've given you, cultivate it, transform it, bring life to it, be a watchman over it, keep the snakes and the wolves and the pests out. And I'll be with you and walk with you in the garden as the mist came up from the earth. I want you to know that God is restoring us back to that. Through Jesus, we have access to the tree of life which brings ultimate pleasure and delight. When you delight yourself in the Lord, God gives you the desires of your heart, meaning that the comforts and the desires and the things that he desires and that we so desperately need are ours for the taking. But when you don't have Jesus in your life, you're gonna run to porn and drugs and cheating and divorce and broke. All the dysfunction of the darkness of the world around us comes from the absence of the man Jesus in people's lives. And so we're being restored back to true pleasure and delight. Why am I so fired up? Woo! I'm so fired up because I have pleasure and delight in my life. Yeah! It's not because I got religious dysfunction and I'm all fire, brimstone, and hell, and the end's coming. No, I'm excited about times like this. You know why I'm excited? Because I'm seeing Jesus everywhere in the midst of it. And I understand that I have power and authority, and so do you. When you give your life to Jesus, you get a full-grown Jesus living inside of you. But it's a lifetime of process of discovery of all that he's given you. You grow stronger throughout a lifetime by discovering by faith what he's put inside of your life. And one of the things he wants you to discover so much right now is the power and the authority 
that he has given you. The power and the authority that he has given you. The power in the word is God's effective, miraculous working power. Many of you know the word, it's dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's impactful. It tears down walls. It tears down the gates of hell. It brings healing and signs and wonders and miracles and demonstrates the wondrous acts of who God is. But the authority is different. The authority is where we get this Greek word exousia. And what that means, this word means literally I have jurisdiction and I am fully put in charge to mandate God's power, God's legislation on earth as it is in heaven. You gotta get this. If you don't understand power and authority, if you don't start to walk in it, you're gonna find yourself defeated, worried, afraid, and your, your faith is gonna be a constant maybes and I hope so and full of doubts. <clears throat> and God doesn't want you to doubt. And so power and authority is critical right now. The understanding of this is that a law enforcement officer has jurisdiction in their city, in your neighborhood, or in their life when they pull you over or to arrest you when you're doing something illegal that needs to be arrested for. Whatever it is, they have jurisdiction. But if you resist being arrested or you continue to break the laws, what happens? They have to use the power that they have to handcuff you, pull their gun, whatever it is. The authority's the badge, and the power is the gun. And you gotta realize that God gives you power and authority in the midst of this. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, you're powerless. You don't even have a gun. And there are many Christians that are weak and broken, and, and they just don't understand what God's saying and doing, and they've never known how to be spirit-led and hear his voice and walk confidently and walk upright before him and to actually believe that God's fighting on their behalf and together with them. Those Christians are like fighting with a water pistol when God wants to put an AK-47 in your hand spiritually. And you need to understand that right now is AK-47 time. This isn't, this isn't water pistol time. I'm more stirred up today than I've ever been, which is why I'm talking with you about speaking to the storm. It's time that the body of Christ rise up and prophesies that declares what God wants to say. And I'm gonna teach you about that this morning. I'm gonna teach you how to, how to prophetically declare what God is saying when a storm is beating against your house. And we're gonna slay some religious cows today because so many of us are living in this, well, you just gotta rebuke the storm, you gotta rebuke the storm. Listen, I rebuked Hurricane Harvey all day long and my coffee shop was decimated. Was it because I didn't have enough faith or I wasn't confident enough? No. God wanted to do something bigger and better through that process. And I know it was, it was brutal for so many and they lost so many of their importance. I, I lost so much in Hurricane Andrew in 1992. My mom lost so many of her family heirlooms that her mom, who had passed away when she, she was 16, she lost those things in Hurricane Andrew. But you know what my mom found? She may have lost her family heirlooms, but she found Jesus. And let me make sure you understand what matters more than anything. At the end of the day, nothing matters but you and Jesus. 
Nothing matters that you're in right position with him. Not our stuff, not our things, not our heirlooms, not our inheritances, nothing. No money, no bank accounts, no rings, no diamonds, no watches, no ranches, nothing. You've got to get a right perspective of what God's saying and doing in this time, or you'll constantly be fearful and worried in my job and my money and my this and my that. Look, I'm in the same boat with you. We're not in a different boat. I only had maybe three, $4,000 in savings. God had led me to pull most of my money out of the stock market in early January before any of this happened to pay down a huge chunk of debt. But I don't have a massive amount of savings. My shops are down 80%, both of them in their sales. The, the income could go down here. But I'm not going to live in a world of fifth and butts, and none of this stuff was my, was, had my trust in it anyway, ever. Either Jesus is Lord or he's not. And you've got to make Jesus Lord over your job, your money, your house, your finances, your future, your marriage, your kids. You've got to make Jesus Lord over everything and slay the idol of mammon. Slay the idol of constant pursuit that's caused you to not sleep and have to take sleeping pills and numb out and check out and drug out and drink out, whatever it is. This is the time to find God's rest and God's peace and learn how to be rested in the midst of a raging storm. This is the time now. And I'm telling you, God is shifting. He is forcing the hand of our lives. Some of us were already forced prior to now. Like, me. And I'm just getting more refined. This is the refiner's fire. The body of Christ is in the refiner's fire and God is spinning and whirling and twisting and pouring in the laundry soap to cleanse and wash. And he says, though your sins be as scarlet, behold, I will make them white as snow. Let's reason together. You know what reason together means? It means let's have a conversation. God wants to have a conversation with you. God wants to talk to you. God wants to comfort you. While my phone starts playing worship in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah! Woo! This is the time. I cannot emphasize enough to you that God is on the move to awaken his church. Preachers that preach with passivity, Peter Pan pastors, they're all being woken up to walk in confidence and boldness and power. Mark my words. God's going to pour out a spirit upon all flesh. And those that <coughs> didn't believe in casting out demons and praying in tongues and walking in power and take, trampling on snakes and scorpions, you mark my words. You think God doesn't care about his people? You think God's not going to be on the move? All day long, he's stretching out his arm to show himself strong. So my point in all of that rabbit trail I just went on is that God is speaking. God is speaking. He's, he's shouting from the rooftops, and so am I. So are other preachers and pastors. You watch the body of Christ become alive. And let me also tell you, this may be cool. This is great. Thank God for technology. But if you think that it's just so great that the church left the building, this is an unsustainable model. You think that just it's nice we get to stay home and oh, God's doing all this stuff. Let me tell you something about the local church. There's always been a temple. There's always been an ecclesia, an, an ecclesia the called out ones, and that those that would gather together for a purpose of training, equipping, and transforming. 
And I'm not against house churches, and I'm not against, I'm not against meeting in our homes as families, but I want you to know and understand that this is going to shift back. And when it shifts back, we're going to come together to train, equip, and empower, and send an army like never before. That's what's sustainable. God always brings people together to touch and communicate. This social distancing is dysfunctional to the Bible and to the kingdom of God. It's a direct assault on the kingdom of God. Do we do it? Yes, because we're fighting together this pandemic. But it's going to come to an end, and when it does, we're going to be back to shaking hands and hugging and loving and being unified the way we've, we've always needed to be. That's what I believe. Some churches did need to leave the building. They were dead as a doornail. I get it. Going through their religious dysfunction and meeting and having their kumbaya services, that's not whatever God wanted. A lot of churches have no Holy Spirit, no presence, and no power. But not every church. And let's pray for those churches instead of tear them down. Let's believe that the denominational churches will get back to their roots. Let's believe that they will get back to the Holy Spirit. Let's believe that they'll find the man Jesus in the midst of this. Let's believe that they'll become awakened and alive and God will either remove them if their hearts aren't right or transform them for them to become who God's called them to become. From every church, from the mega church to the little church, I don't care. The church is a place of training and equipping and power to teach you things like I'm teaching you now, how to speak to the storm. I've been talking about the wise man and the foolish man. Everybody's either a wise man or a foolish man. Now, I love you. I'm not out to beat you up or offend you, though the word itself is offensive. Jesus said, anybody that hears my word and doesn't do it is, is like a fool because they're doing, you're doing it your own way. It's foolish to do anything your own way. Take it from me. I was in prison. I was on the streets. I was, a, I was selling drugs and doing drugs and sleeping around and even laid claim to knowing God and laid claim to all these spiritual realities. And none of them brought peace and comfort and strength the way ultimately that Jesus did. None of them did. And so I was a foolish man. But when I gave my life to Jesus and said, God, I want to build your way, I actually became a wise man. Even in the midst of lots of mistakes, lots of failures, lots of process, lots of learning, lots of overcoming. You don't get it instantly. You grow from an infant to a mature mother or father over the course of a lifetime but you gotta get into the process. Now's the time to get into the process. So I wanna go back to Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, and I'm gonna launch off from here this morning. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. He's the rock. And in Luke 6, 48, the same story's told, but with a different variation at a different time, Jesus said, said it this way, he said, the wise man hears my word and digs deep to get to the rock. You've got to dig deep. For the house to stand fir firm, you first have to hear. The wise man and the foolish man heard the word. Notice that. God is speaking. But then we have to believe the truth and dig past. Now check this out. You have to dig past every false thing you built yourself. The rock is Jesus. So if you're having to dig deep, what are you digging past? And what the Lord showed me is what we're digging past is our false 
religious, false humility, false ideas, false belief sets, or legalistic religion that we have built on top of the rock of Jesus. Woo! So he's saying, the wise man digs deep. What do I have to dig past? What do you have to dig past? It's sand on the top of the rock. But guess what storms do? They blow the sand away. And it says, you know what? Everything I put my trust in, God's removing, and I'm going to dig. So now's the time to dig. I'm telling you, lay down false religious paradigms, false religious ideologies, false religious philosophies and belief systems that are not who the Lord is. Learn who the real Jesus is and meet the man Jesus face to face. Build your life on the true rock by faith, not with legalistic dysfunctional religion. Then we have to do what he says. We hear, we dig, we lay and on our, our house on a foundation, and then what? We have to do it. Now, I'm going to teach you something this morning in the context of speaking to the storm. It's the word do. If you study out this word do in the Greek, this is what it means. The first definition of the word do is to make or to create. It literally means to form, fashion. It means to cause something to happen. It means to make something where there was once nothing. It means to prepare, produce, and to shoot forth. It means to acquire a promise. It means to, to literally carry out and execute with excellence. It means to perform a promise and then to celebrate it and remember it like Passover. We remember what God did. We will celebrate this time because we made and we created by doing what God told us to do. You've got to see that to do basically means we speak what we've heard, and in our speaking, we actually create and build something God's way. We co-author together with him because he speaks first, then we put into action the given directive. Our speaking creates action and puts things into motion. Let me say that again. Our speaking creates action and puts things into motion. This is the launching pad for today's message. You're going to have to understand that to do doesn't just mean I'm a robot and I can't function without God telling me every single thing I have to do. That's not what that means. What it means is God speaks and puts a dream and a vision and a desire in my heart, and I first execute it by saying it and speaking to it. I'm going to show it to you here in just a moment. Remember, God created and sustains everything how? By his spoken word. It's Hebrews 1.3. You can write that down. He upholds all things by the power of his word. Woo! Yeah! He upholds all things by the power of his word. What does that mean? That means that in the beginning, God created everything. How? Woo! You're going to get it. He spoke. He said, let there be. And he spoke things into existence. So Hebrews 1.3 reminds us that all things, everything you see, your TV, your computer, your phone, the world around us, everything is sustained by the breath of his word. So if God created everything by his spoken word, what do you think he wants us to do? He wants us to speak confidently and then put it into action what we're declaring. You know, when we got this shopping center, Originally, I was like, oh, I don't want to be in a shopping center. You know, I don't want to start a church in a shopping center. 
But we really had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to park everybody. We didn't have the money to go build out in the countryside. And so I heard that the Lord said, this is where I want you to be. But then I had to lay claim in the context of saying, yes, Lord, I believe. And I declare that this building will be ours. And in everything in my life, by faith, I have spoken. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when God puts his promises inside of you, the answer always comes first out of your mouth. So we have to learn to speak to the storm. We have to learn that our words are powerful. We hear his voice and we build with excellence according to his pattern and his design. Let me show this to you. Acts chapter seven, verse 44. Acts seven forty-four. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. Now watch this. It had been made as God directed Moses. How? According to the pattern that he had seen. This scripture is what I'm trying to talk to you about today. We make things as God directs according to patterns that we see. So God gives us supernatural downloads. They're like matrix downloads. First about your life then about your future, then about your family, then about your nature, then about the call on your life, then the purpose on your life. And you start connecting dots because first God speaks, then you hear, then you say yes, and then you begin to declare it out of your life and out of your mouth. Can you imagine? I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't really think God wants us to have that. I don't think God wants us to have this piece of property that we have now where we live. When it was my wife's dream, and I was the first one that said, God, I don't, I, you know, I don't think so. And my wife was like, no, I know so. And I'm declaring that that's going to be our piece of property. When we moved into our three and a half acres, it was God that spoke to my wife, and I was the one speaking negativity out of my mouth. And God had to correct me from my wife and do something so supernatural and open a door that only could open. And once I heard God's voice through my wife, I said, okay, I'd like claim to that too. And once I came into agreement, God moved mountains to make it happen. And you're gonna have to see that God is a mountain moving, mountain moving God. And when you speak to the mountain, if you have just a mustard seed of faith to speak to the mountain, it will be moved and cast into the sea. You gotta speak to this thing. But what you speak is so important. Because I'm not talking about religious dysfunction. If I rebuke you, I bind you, Satan, I bind you, this, I bind you, that. I'm going to teach you a better way to speak today. Because I've learned through a lot of dysfunctional spiritual warfare what the right way to war is. And I'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody on this doctrinally. So fired up right now. I wish you all were right here with me. I don't think I can take this that much longer just so that you know. I need to see your shiny faces here in this building. So God directed Moses according to a pattern he had seen. It was the pattern of the tabernacle in the wilderness. God literally gave Moses, through what he saw and what he heard, a vision of how to build, and he would speak it, and he would create it. God has divine patterns for each of us according to how he wants to build your life. There are divine patterns of how he wants to build your life. The very first place God would give the law to Moses and demonstrate his awesome power would be on a mountaintop. The first time that God would demonstrate really his intimate nature and power and give instruction and guidance and even the Ten Commandments and the law would be on Mount Sinai. 
covered with lightning, thunder, smoke, and fire on it. Think of all the ways he could have revealed himself. Instead, he revealed himself through what was terrifying to people in the natural. What the Israelites saw in the natural was terrifying to them. Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us lest we die. Can you imagine? There are people still just like this today. They're terrified of God. They've got a warped perception of God or they see the thunder, the lightning, the smoke and the fire and they're freaked out and they're saying, you go hear God for us. But God wants us to have direct access to his presence and to his voice because he now, we now have the cross. We now have Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. We now have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We now have access by faith through grace to come boldly to his throne. And so what you've got to see here is that God revealed himself in a way that initially looked terrifying. Think of the desert. Probably was pretty freaky. Think about the the Egyptians chasing them on the backside. Think about the bitter waters. Think about the fact that all they had was manna, and so they were complaining because they wanted meat. And they just complained, and they complained, and they complained. The two spies go into the promised land and bring back grapes and beautiful food and all these promises, and Uh, 10 of them complain and say, we're never gonna make it. The giants are too big. We're little grasshoppers in the midst of this. Some of you are seeing yourself as grasshoppers right now and you think that the enemy's gonna crush you, but the enemy's already been defeated. The devil has already been defeated. It's time for you to rise up in power and authority to see, to hear, to speak, and to do. And we're gonna conclude this message with prophetic declarations because I wrote down a whole page of them and I'm gonna boldly declare them right into your house right into your car, right into your home, and together we're gonna come in agreement as a church and the body of Christ to speak to this storm, and I'm gonna show you what we're gonna speak because I'm gonna teach you a better way. To the Israelites, it looked like a violent storm that would destroy them, but God was in the storm, and it was from this mountain that God would give the Ten Commandments and clear instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Storms actually teach us how to and not to build. Think about it. When Hurricane Harvey hit Port Aransas or Hurricane Andrew hit a homestead of Florida City in South Miami, anything that wasn't built right was destroyed. So what happened? Building codes changed. In Port Aransas, anything that was built to hurricane code, for the most part, withstood. You know, I didn't have flood insurance on my equipment and windstorm insurance on my equipment inside my building because the building was built to hurricane standards, hurricane code. So the outside layer of the windows busted, but the inside layer didn't. All the windows withstood. But I had this one little bitty tiny door that snapped in half. And it seems like the whole ocean and the whole bay went right in the front door into my coffee shop and wiped it out and flooded it three feet high. I learned my lesson from that one. I can assure you I have flood and windstorm insurance now on my equipment. So you learn lessons. And you know what? After that shop was destroyed, guess what I got to do? I got to bring my wife in. Because prior, when I had built that storm, prior, uh, when I'd built the coffee shop, I was single. So I built it like this dark kind of London tavern and dark chocolate browns on the walls and everything was dark. 
And my wife didn't get to build the shop at all. And she would say to me all the time, I really wish we could remodel that shop. I'm like, well, we don't have the money. I really wish we could remodel that shop. We don't have the money. I think God really listens to my wife. I just don't even understand it sometimes. Because as soon as the hurricane happened, what happened? Here comes my wife. Planners on the wall, bright walls, shiplap. The shop just was transformed a thousand times more beautiful than it was before. Yeah! Woo! It's all about perspective, people. You got to understand, I get it. I don't want people dying and sick. But I also know this is the time for faith and confidence in the blood of Jesus, everything we've stood on, or for you to get on the rock for the first time and start to believe and trust that you'll actually come out better and stronger than you were before. You got to start building up to code. And God's word is your code. The Bible is our building code. It's time to build up to code. On one side, yes, of course storms can destroy and kill you. And I don't want anybody to be destroyed, destroyed or die. No one. But on the other side, check this out. Storms can teach you how to walk on water. And I'm not going to teach this today, but I might teach it on Wednesday. Finding Jesus in the midst of the storm. Because in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus sends the disciples. I'll paraphrase it for you. I'm doing another teaching on it that I'm already ready for. Jesus sends the disciples. He, they just broke the loaves and, and, and the, uh, multiplied the fish and fed the multitudes. Jesus was wiped out. He's like, you guys go across the, the, the Sea of Galilee, which is only 13 miles long and eight miles wide on a calm, cool night. They only had to go eight miles or even less. Actually, it was, they think it was only about five miles because they were in a narrower part of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, I'm gonna go on the mountain and pray and I'm gonna send you guys across the boat at dawn. Then the story picks up at four o'clock in the morning. What's happening? A violent storm suddenly arose on the sea. Actually, it had probably been there for quite some time because they should have made it five miles a lot sooner. Now it's four o'clock in the morning. I'm going to teach this to you another time, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you today. Jesus at four o'clock in the morning sees them rowing violently against the wind and the waves, struggling to get to the other side. Now, there's a lot of ways Jesus could have saved them. He could have said, wind and waves, I rebuke you. Be still, be calm. No, you know what he did? He walked on the water. And then when the disciples saw him out of the boat, Jesus says, don't be afraid. They were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. You know why they thought it was a ghost? Because legend had it in those days that when a sailor died on the Sea of Galilee, their souls would wander around on the water, lost and hopeless. And so they thought he was a ghost. So what did they do? They were terrified. This is my point. Many of us are terrified in the midst of the storm, but Jesus is walking on the water. And then Peter sees it and says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come on the water. And bam, Jesus says, come join me. Jesus is inviting you to come join him right now. Jesus is inviting you to get out of your boat and get on the water. But get your eyes off the waves because what happened? As soon as Peter got on the water, he's trucking along, bam, what happens? He gets his eyes on the waves and he starts to sink. And then Jesus pulls him out and he says, why did you let doubt win? You, should, you wouldn't believe what I just had in store for you. In fact, you and I probably would have called the other disciples out of the boat and we would have had a water walking party. All 13 of us. 
would have walked on the water. Did you ever think about what would have happened if the disciples didn't wake Jesus up in the sinking boat? See, when Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and then he rebuked the disciples. His best plan wasn't rebuke the storm. I know some of you are like, oh, well, Jesus spoke to the, the storm. But yeah, you know what? He didn't teach us to do it that way. He told us to rest, to trust, be calm. Because notice in Matthew 14, which I'm not, now I'm giving you my message, but I'll just give it to you anyway, because I'm so fired up, and you're at home, and we all got time on our hands right now. So what happens? As soon as Peter starts thinking, he pulls him out, and it, then Jesus gets in the boat. What happens when Jesus gets in your boat? the storm will be calmed. Because no matter what's happening externally, what's, what really matters is what's happening internally. Because some of you are letting the external storm rage inside your heart. So I want you to understand that by speaking to the storm, we make a declaration of who God is. Now follow me. This is the essence of what I want to teach you today. By speaking to the storm, we make a declaration of who God is who we are, and what the outcome will be in the midst of it. So I'm already making the decision to declare who God is, to declare who I am, and who we are as a church, and what the outcome's gonna be now, instead of just rebuking it. This is, this is next level. And I get it, we got to speak to the mountains, speak to the storm, be removed. And I'm not saying that I don't sometimes speak against things. But I've learned a better way. Everybody say with me, there's a better way. There's a better way. That's right, there's a better way. Thanks to my five people hanging out here on my media team. <laughs> yes! <clears throat> In another story related to the time when Jesus and Peter walked on the water, we understand that the storms rage, but Jesus is at rest and at peace, and I want you to be at peace too. Maybe the only reason that Jesus rebuked the storm, this is what I want you to know, was due to the fear and failure in the hearts of the disciples. Jesus gets up, Mark chapter six, the boat's rocking, Jesus is sleeping, waves are coming in, disciples think they're gonna die. They wake up Jesus, they say to Jesus, don't you, think we're, don't you care that we're gonna die? And so what does Jesus do? He gets up, rebukes the storm, but then he rebukes the disciples. He says, you have little faith. Here's my question to you. What if the boat would have sunk with Jesus and the disciples on board? Think for a second. Maybe something so supernatural was in store that the disciples didn't know about. But because they were so afraid of dying, because they were so afraid of what they were seeing, Man, you gotta get this. Because their eyes were on the waves, the storm, the flood, Jesus had to rebuke the storm. Do you think that was Jesus' best response? No. I think Jesus wanted to teach them something else. And I will tell you all day long that God wants us to learn to be at peace and at rest and to trust, and he wants to lift us up above the storm on eagle's wings, or he wants to teach you how to walk on the water and to trust him and stay at rest no matter what's coming your way. It was because of a lack of faith and fear and disbelief that Jesus would come to the rescue. That's why Jesus did what he did. Only God knows, but I'm telling you, there was something else that could have happened. 
There's an easier way. And if only we would stay rested and respond to the storm God's way, we would see something that we've never seen before. Our response needs to become a declaration of how what I say and how I choose to live has power in it. That's my response. It's a declaration. We can actually shoot forth during this time and become more productive, not through stressed out work, but rather by doing and speaking life in the midst of darkness. Because one of our responses is, I got to fix this. I got to make this happen. I got to correct it. I got to work it. But real rest comes from understanding that God has a rest for us now. And when you enter into his rest, and I taught this last Wednesday, we cease from our work just as God ceased from his work. So I've ceased from my work. Jesus was ceasing from his work when he was at rest. Jesus even ceased from from his work when he walked on the water. He had authority over it. When Jesus rebuked the storm, what did he say? He said, peace be still, and there was a great calm. Jesus' response to the storm was peace, stillness, rest, and calm to it, not rebuking the devil. Not binding up a spirit. Not fearing. His response was nothing short of supernatural life to it. Because God always has a better way. Let me tell you guys a story. Back in the day when I was living in, in Brookside in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we were having at the church I was a part of, then at the time called Open Bible Fellowship, now called Rivergate, my former pastor, Joel and Linda Budd. I'm so thankful for them. We had, an, uh, all, we had like a week-long prayer deal and everybody signed up for slots and then they just pray on their own. And one night, I signed up for the three o'clock night shift. And at three o'clock in the morning, I went out and I started walking around my neighborhood in Brookside. And as I walked around, I started binding up principalities and I started started praying against demonic forces and the gates of hell. And I started uh, uh, speaking against all the spiritual wickedness over our city. The next day, I went out to dinner with my mom and I wound up eating some bad seafood or I think, or something happened and my body went into anaphylactic shock. Now I've eaten seafood my whole life. It's my favorite food. And my body went into anaphylactic shock when we got home My mom had passed out on the couch and I was in my room sucking down asthma inhalers when suddenly I went black and I I was crawled into my mom and barely touched her knee and then I passed out. 13 hours later, I'd wake up at St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma with a ventilator in my throat, tubes in my nose, all the capillaries in my eyes busted out And I would wake up to people standing all around me and all night long, all my friends and family in Tulsa came and wrote in my journal and they all wrote to me because I was fighting for my life and people prayed for me. That night I had a dream. And in the dream, I was fishing in the sky and there were giant blackbirds with hooked wings all over the city. And I caught one and I was fishing with a bunch of intercessors and all of us had lines up in the sky and I caught one of these big giant black birds And the blackbird came down over the city of faith in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and two school buses came by and cut the line. And I was jumping over the intercessors, trying to reel it in as my line was going out, wondering why nobody was helping me. My line gets cut, and then I see one of these birds come down, fly over me, and the earth seemed to spin around, and then it landed, 
And I looked and I could see Satan face to face and he turned at me and he came right after me. And what the Lord was showing me was that the enemy and what I had done alone had wreaked havoc in my life because I was fighting in the wrong way. God taught me through that as I jumped over intercessors and tried to catch this spiritual wickedness and as I was binding up things in the middle of the night and I almost died in the hospital that you never do these types of things alone and then second of all, there's a better way to fight. The house that I lived into before this one was, buried, was built on an Indian burial ground off Ennis Jocelyn Road here in Corpus Christi. The minute we moved into that house, sickness, death, mold, pneumonias, loss of a child, hardships, struggles, problems over and over and over again. And then the, the uh, uh, Native American Indians would walk by the front of my house and leave these little pouches of tobacco in my trees. They were basically gifts to the dead. And we'd have all these problems in our house. And so one day I asked a really good friend of mine, Randy Skinner, what's the best way for me to stand against this? He says, well, don't go and rebuke it. Go walk the land and bless it. Go speak life to the land there. Go speak forgiveness and comfort and strength and God's plan and design, original plan and design to the land. Don't go binding and warfaring and coming against the Native American Indians. That's the wrong way to go about it. So my point I'm trying to tell you is when Jesus rebuked the storm, he said, peace be still and calm. And it was calm for the disciples. What God wants us to learn in the midst of it is a better way to declare, a better way to speak. The wise man hears and he does by declaring, speaking, taking charge together with the Lord, co-authoring and building what he wants to build his way. But it first has to come out as a declaration. It's time for the church to prophesy to the storm. And I'm gonna show you this. And so you have to learn to speak to the storm. Everybody say, I'm gonna speak to this storm. But you're gonna speak the right way. And we're not gonna have this dysfunctional binding up the devil. I mean, let me just give you an example. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel was a prophet in the same time as Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in Israel and Jerusalem prophesying, and here's Ezekiel in Babylon. Ezekiel had lived a whole life of prophesying to dead people. And so in Ezekiel 37, he says, I was in the spirit, and the Lord took me up and set me into a valley. And in that valley, God marched him back and forth. And he said, you see all these bones withered, bleached by the sun, dried up, the injustice of, the, of no burials and everything that was contrary to what Israel stood for. He's standing there in the midst of a valley of dry bones, asked him what he sees and then tells him to speak. He says, prophesy to these bones and declare life. Go read Ezekiel 37. He didn't say, bind up the king of Babylon. Bind up the prince of Persia. Bind up all the deceptive lies and darkness and all their sins. Bind up all their idols. No, what did he say? He said, in my love and mercy, I want you to speak life to these bones. Come on, guys. It's time for you to mature now. God is doing something new and beautiful. Think about an eagle for a moment. It flies towards the storms. I posted this on my Facebook yesterday, an awesome video about being like an eagle. And just as eagles learn to fly high above the storm, faster, farther, and with clearer vision, so must we learn to use the storm to our advantage. This is gonna turn to our advantage, mark my words. And I don't want anybody to die, but if you're gonna die, die knowing Jesus. 
I'm telling you right now, if I lose my life, I don't care. I don't believe I will, but if I died, you carry on the legacy and the promise and you'd be fired up and you celebrate because I'll be cheering you on from heaven and I'll be on the other side waiting for you to get there. What matters the most is that you know Jesus right now. So you can fight God's way or you can fight in the same way the storm and the enemy does. You see, when you start binding and rebuking, you actually come into agreement fighting with fear the same way that the enemy is fighting against you. It's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. So all you hellfire and brimstone preachers, you need to stop preaching and start preaching that way and start preaching the kindness and the love and the mercy. And that doesn't mean consequences, that, do, that we don't preach that. That doesn't mean sloppy grace. Sin will kill you, and I talk about it all the time. But it's God's love that covers a multitude of sins and the love that we have that covers it doesn't expose and put more shame through religious dysfunction and then we kick our Christians while they're down. It means that we pull them up and we pull them out and we say, come on and get it together right now. Shut the flesh down. Lay down the sin that so easily entangles you. Get into the power and the authority God has for you. Rise up, sons and daughters. Be filled with the Spirit. Get the fire back in your life. This is the time for that. By speaking to the storm, you effectively prophesy every dream and desire God wants to fulfill in his heart during this time. That's why if you, don't, if you don't speak God's way and prophesy God's way, you're in the flesh. And you'll start to pray and declare and rebuke all in dysfunctional ways. Think about the power of our words and what we say. Think about the power of your words. Let's look at James chapter three, verse four. In James three, James talks all about the power of our tongue, the power of what we say. But I wanna show you something really cool out of this. James chapter three, verse four. Take ships as an example. Let's look at a ship. Although a, my, a ship is mighty and large and driven by strong winds out in the sea, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. I'm gonna break this scripture down for you. Our tongue or what we say can either sink a ship, start a fire, or actually direct us where we're supposed to go, it can actually bring destruction or it can bring life. Just like the rudder of a ship in a raging storm, it can steer you to your destiny and actually use the strong winds to your advantage. Woo! You gotta use the strong winds and the beating against my house to my advantage, not just barely hanging on, crouched in a corner or in my spiritual tornado cellar, hoping I don't die. That's not the life of a believer. The life of a believer learns and grows and prophesies and declares and stands on the word and stands firm against the storm. Like a spark that can destroy us or a spark that can bring life, the words we use are either divinely inspired or fueled by demonic deception. The, literally, James would say that a tongue can be a fierce force from hell itself. Why? Because when it's... Con when it's controlled by our flesh, our intellect, it's ultimately controlled by demonic forces. And then we start speaking and declaring doubt, disbelief, and I hope so, and I die, and I'm hearing this stuff, the governor of California, half of, half of California is gonna get COVID-19. Millions and millions of people are gonna die. The end isn't near, destruction, doom, all this stuff. And I'm like, no, life, 
comfort, healing, the power of God. God, save us. God, rescue us. And I speak life to the storm. And I'm going to speak a bunch of new declarations for you here in a moment. James 3 has a lot to say about your words, but there's one specific thing. You can go read it for yourself as homework. One thing specifically is that the tongue, James says that your tongue, like the rudder of a ship or a spark in a forest, James says that our tongue literally sets the whole course of our life. Did you know that? Why? Because what's in your heart comes out of your mouth and what you speak either brings life or death. And if I speak life and I speak promise and I speak faith and I speak comfort, what happens? It sets my, the course of my life confidently according to his design. And that doesn't mean I live naive. That doesn't mean that I don't think bad things can ever happen. We've had a lot of bad things happen, but God always brings restoration. And in those bad times, guess what they did? I was like a ninja. I'm a spiritual ninja, and that's what you should be. You flip the course and the narrative on the enemy and do the karate chop kick right in his face. He's already defeated. You use this as the opportunity to grow stronger, mightier, more comforted, more powerful, and bring hope and life to everybody around you. Woo! So fired up today. But notice when James said, a ship steered, steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go in James 3, 4. Here's the question. Who's piloting your ship? And who's controlling your rudder when the strong winds blow? That's what I want to know. Who's your pilot? Because Jesus is not my co-pilot. He's my pilot. And I'm just his mouthpiece, his instrument. I'm the rudder that steers ships to the purpose and the direction that the pilot, God himself, wants to go. Woo! So powerful. What you say is so powerful. It's time for the church to speak and prophesy to the storm in a new way. My question is, what do you want the results and outcomes of this storm to be when it's all said and done? We are all gonna look back. What do you want the results of this storm to be? What do you want the outcome to be? And how can you use the storm to your advantage? And so I'll conclude with this today. We're gonna make some declarations right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray them out. I'm gonna prophesy them. I'm gonna declare them to COVID-19, to this pandemic. And I'm gonna show you the gist of my entire message. What I wanna ask all of you to do is come into agreement with me right now the church all over the world, wherever this message gets out to. We are gonna prophesy to the storm and we're gonna prophesy from God's heartbeat. I've listened, I've acted, I've done. Now we're gonna speak to it the way God tells us to speak to it. So are you guys ready? You guys ready at home? I wanna ask you to speak these declarations out together with me and I'll try to slow it down a little bit, but I'm so fired up, I don't know that I can. Let's do this. Today, we make a declaration to COVID-19, and we say, because of you, millions of souls will be saved. Because of you, the church will be unified. Because of you, every dead Christian will live, and unbelievers will be saved. COVID-19, I prophesy life will come out of you, and you will be used to awaken and revive the body of Christ all over the world. You will bring forth life from dead bones. 
you will actually cause God's people to rise up and trust and find rest and peace in the midst of your storm. COVID-19, you have effectively been used to end idolatry in our land. The idolatry of entertainment, sports, and money, and anything else that we have set up alone before the living God as a form of worship. Our worship will become alive, full of vigor, animated, passionate, hungry, thirsty, desperate for the living God. You will end distractions that have been in Christians' lives and bring us all back to a restoration of Jesus and his family. Now, you need to understand as I'm making these, I'm making a prophetic declaration that because of what this pandemic is doing, it will cause a response in us to the Lord that will create all these things to happen. So I'm prophesying that because of COVID-19, people will actually run in desperation to the Father to find hope and comfort. The storm doesn't bring the hope and comfort. Only Jesus can bring the hope and the comfort. And because of you, our priorities are being realigned. My priorities are being realigned. Our families will learn of your great power and our hearts will be even more prepared for the coming of Jesus. Because of you, families will be more united than ever before. And our children will learn to trust in you instead of the things of this world. And because of what you're doing, you will only cause us to dig deep and build on the rock and up our building code and remove the sand of the preconceived false religious piety that we've had and built upon the rock, Jesus. You will only make our houses stronger and confirm the confident faith inside of every one of us. We will find Jesus walking on the water because of you and we will no longer fear death. We prophesy peace and stillness to you all over the world and command you to cease your destructive path and every deceptive lie that you brought to the nations. We prophesy life, healing, restoration, recovery, and God's working in all things for the good to those who love him. Because of you, COVID-19, we will discover the heart of the Father, be restored to our bridegroom, plant vineyards, sing songs of praise, and the lost will find mercy and grace, and they will know God's name when they never knew it before. Because of you and people who were once, because of you, the people who were once dead, dry bones will arise and become a mighty end-time army to drive back the hordes of hell wreaking havoc on the face of the earth. You, COVID-19, have only reminded us that the day is at hand and the time is now. We will now war like never before, not fighting the way you fight, not with weapons of fear and torment and death and destruction, but as an army armed with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the fruit of the Spirit. We will love better, live better, lead better, and lay down every single sin that has so easily entangled us. We have no choice but to become more like Jesus. And you have no choice but to subside and retreat. COVID-19, you'll never keep God's people down. Because of you, we'll only become more confident and a mighty army. Because of you and every storm we ever face, we will flame on like never before. 
We have fire in our eyes, the fire of the one we have been beholding and the fire of his love burning inside of us for his people. And now we will be more aggressive. We will cast out demons, pray in tongues, take up serpents, trample scorpions, drink deadly poison and not get sick. And instead of getting sick, we'll actually lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Beloved church, now is the time to walk in the power and authority God has so graciously given, graciously given us through his son Jesus, who dwells in you mightily. Do not settle for anything less. Prophesy life to your home. Prophesy life to your family. Prophesy revival all over the face of the earth. Stop walking in fear and getting all distracted with what the enemy's doing and start finding out what Jesus is doing. Blow away the sand that you have built on top of the rock. Any foundation you've laid, lies, preconceived ideas, false religion, legalistic mindsets, whatever it is, blow those away and get back to the rock, the man Jesus. The wise man hears the word, builds his house, and does what God says. It's time to prophesy, declare, and speak life to your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much, Lord. What an incredible time we're living in. God, we pray for the nations of the world and our cities where there's outbreaks. We pray, God, that in the midst of these outbreaks, your supernatural love and mercy and kindness would come right in through your people and the body of Christ. Raise them up, Lord. Raise up the remnants in every city. Raise up the followers of you, the true disciples. Every church, every believer, flamed on all over the world. I declare Habakkuk 2.14 right now. As the waters cover the earth, so the glory of the Lord covers the earth. Thank you, God, that your presence and your power and your life rules and reigns in every dark place. Be the light of the world, beloved. Be the light of the world now more than ever before and speak out of your mouth, not death, doubt, destruction. God, may we all speak life and only what we hear you say and speak. And that's my prayer for you today. More comfort, more passion, more fire, more desire, more the gifts of the Spirit now. No more cessationism. Embrace the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days to dream dreams, prophesy, and see visions. Now's your time, church. Now's the time. So God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you're gonna provide, you're gonna take care, and you're gonna slay every idol in our life that needs to be slayed. We get back to you. We love you. We thank you. Help us and have mercy upon us. Walk with us and strengthen us. And I thank you, God, for the power and the authority that resides in every Christian that's born again because you reside inside of them. I thank you so much, Lord. I bless everybody that's watched this feed and everybody that continues to spend time at home and everybody that dreams about what you want them to dream and says what you want them to say. Thank you, God, for their lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo, yeah. Well, I hope you guys are fired up like I am and I hope that you will live better, stronger, and love more than you've ever loved before. 
Before we go, I just want to remind you, we don't do this for money. I'm not peddling the word of God for profit, but I always want to remind you, the church needs you more than ever right now. Trust him, be faithful, and make a sacrifice to give. There's multiple ways to give. You can give on our website. You can give by texting 77977 and typing Rock City Corpus, or you can mail us to check or cash 10309 South Padre Island Drive, Suite C1, Corpus Christi, Texas, 78418 in the beautiful Flower Bluff. I love you guys so much. Stay fired up. And until next time, I'll be praying for you and ready for the part two of this word or the part four of this word, seeing Jesus in the midst of storm. Have an awesome, rocking, fired up day. Yeah! Woo!